Welcome to the first episode of That Was Paul, a collection of stories about my cousin Paul Schillow, who totally changed the direction of his life when he became a Pittsburgh police officer. And in doing so, he changed the lives of so many others before he was tragically killed in the line of duty. Paul's mom and dad, my Aunt Susie and Uncle Max, would end many of the stories about Paul with that simple phrase, that was Paul. It was who he was, inside and out, no two ways about it. So to know Paul is to know Aunt Susie and Uncle Max. So let's start there. Well, let's see now. My name is Paul Shulow, but uh, everyone knows me as Max. I was born in uh, 1938, and uh, my full name is Paul John Rizzo Dominic Shulow. Johnny Rizzo in 1938 was a Pittsburgh Pirate rookie, and he had a tremendous season, and my dad was an avid Pirate fan, used to travel uh, to see the Pirates, and he said if he had a boy, he was going to name him Johnny Rizzo, and that's how me and Paul, that's how Paul became Paul John Rizzo Dominic Shillow II. Okay, um, my name's Sue Shillow. My real name is Julia Shillow. Well, my mother's name was Julia. And right, Grandma. So then okay. she called me Susie, I guess, as so as to not you know, um, confused the issue of, the, of, you know, someone calling for Julia. And then I named my daughter Julia, too. So, And then your sister's name's Julia. So we have a family that names everybody after the families, which is really a neat thing. But um, that's how I got it. She called me Susie. My name's Julia Susan Isaac, my, my maiden name. If two people were ever meant to be together, it was my Aunt Susie and Uncle Max. I married my beautiful wife in 1966, and we've been happily married ever since. We've been married 53 years, and I tell everybody that when I die, if God says you can go back as somebody, I'm coming back as Max, and I'm marrying me, because what a life he has had. And And now he's been retired, what, 26 years? And he's still alive, so that gives that gives me a lot of credit for my patience. So um, that's about all. We've been married that long. We had three kids, and um, Paul was our youngest and our only boy, and he was the love of our lives. And that's about all I have to say. I adore my daughters, but that kid, we adored him. They adored him, too. As if the names weren't confusing enough, my Aunt Susie and Uncle Max met at my Aunt Peggy's wedding. Aunt Peggy was my Aunt Susie's sister, and she was marrying William Shillow, known as Bimbo, who was my Uncle Max's brother. Well, at, at Aunt Peggy's wedding, when Peggy married, Aunt Peggy married his brother, Billy. We were there, and you know how they clanked the glasses? Well, they clanked the glasses, and we kissed each other, and that was it. I was done. And that's a shame, because completely done, that was it. I was the best man in their wedding, and Susie was the maid of honor. And that end, that's and this is what how it ended up. My brother married Susie's sister, and uh, as you know, Susie's uh, nine years younger than me. Twenty years more mature, I'll say. 
I, I got to get her writer. She got a better writer than me. But anyway, I'm nine years younger than him. But when we married, I always say now that I raised four kids. And he, he was the only one that didn't turn out right. Because he was ruined before I got him. You can eliminate that, but it's the truth. I loved her then and I love her now. And that's all, that's the way it is. And one time I remember this, one time I was sitting up in, in up on Liberty Avenue. I was sitting on a newsstand. I used to have newsstands up there. And I was with this girl I was dating and Susie passed by. And I told this girl, I said, there's the girl right there I'm going to marry. And then she punched him. And then she punched me, yeah. So that's I don't think it. I ever heard that. Hey, Bill. I broke my leg in 65. I broke my leg playing uh, touch-tap football in 65. And when I was laid up in the hospital, my cousin from Aliquippa came in, and Susie was in the room, and she was giving me all kind of kisses and stuff like that. And uh, that was it. Billy, you know what's funny is he only remembers all of that stuff. (laughs) What do you remember? (laughs) No, we don't have long enough for me to tell you. As unusual as it was for two sisters to meet up and marry two brothers, it turned out to be a blessing because they both had young families. And when my Uncle Bimbo died at a young age, the two families came together in a special way. It ended up being being a good thing because uh, when my brother... He died at an early age. He was only 39. It was good because we were so closely intertwined. They were closer than cousins, which meant he could, ta- you know, he could help her. There was no friction about it. The Shillow families were more than just cousins. They were like brothers and sisters. Stevie Shillow, the youngest of my Aunt Peggy's kids, describes the family dynamic. Our family's a tight family. And Aunt Susie didn't drive anywhere, and my mom drove everywhere. Um, So she bought station wagon that could fit all of us because she knew that she had Aunt Susie and her kids, and my mom uh, being a widow with three kids. So we had, you know, eight people we had to count for. So um, everything that we did involved Aunt Susie because our moms, like Uncle Max, was golfing and doing his things. And... um, our moms were together constantly. So that meant that Paul and I were together constantly. Paul and his two older sisters, Laura and Julia, were also together constantly, sometimes to their dismay, as Julia recalls. When Laura would have her dates over, he would be right in the middle of both of them. <laughs> and I so, think my mother sent him in for that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, absolutely. And then he would pretend to be Spider-Man against our pillars of the of the walls. And that's what he used to entertain them on her dates. His older sister's boyfriends also served as an early training ground for Paul's future police work. Um, if a boy came in that my mom didn't have the whole dossier for, uh, she would send, when they would come into the house, she sent Paul around the back through the alley to get the make, model, and license plate of the car. And then we would go out, and then Paul would come back in with his little tablet. So he was being uh, taught how to be a detective yep. from early on. Yeah, that's true. And he uh, loved every minute of it. Though. Oh, he, he loved oh, it. Oh, my gosh, did he favorite. love it. He also loved sports, and he excelled at everything he tried, as my Aunt Susie and Uncle Max remembered. He wanted to try everything. 
always was, you know, you would do one thing and then go want to go to the next thing and the, the next thing and the next thing. We, we would go to New Jersey and we would go there for years because there was a camp counselor. He was a gym teacher, but he was a camp counselor on duty there. And every half hour, he would have a sport to be played with trophies. And we went there because Paul was so bad. Like he was so bored that he needed things all the time, stimulus. And there was a, um, a miniature golf course there and everything. And every year we went and every year he, he would always come home with trophies galore. Trophies galore. He was good at everything he did. He was. He, anything he wanted to do, he did it well. Absolutely good at everything he used to do. I, I remember the first time he, I used to have him hit golf balls in, in, in the living room, Bill. He used to hit golf balls. I used to put them, them, them little, uh, what do you call them little plastic balls, wiffle balls. He used to hit them from the living room and hit the archway of the kitchen and the dining room. And I used to whack him. <laughs> when he was old enough, I said, Paul, you're not going to touch a golf club until you get lessons. And that's what we did. We, we, took, him, uh, we took him to get lessons. And after um, he, he was in a group lessons, me and Susie used to drive him out. Then we'd go back and pick him up. And then after, after, after them lessons were completed, the person came up to me and Susie and said, there's something there with your son. If I were you, I would get him one-on-one lessons, which we did. So we, we used to take him there, drop him off, go get coffee, come back and pick him up. Then I used to take him golfing, and me and him used to go away on the weekends. Paul was a natural at sports, but it took good coaching from his parents to point the way. Excelled in everything. All star. He was all star uh, when he be, when he after little league. We got phone calls left and right from the next league. What is it? Pony league or whatever it is. That Paul don't want to play. I said, well. That's Paul's life. I said, we lived our life. Whatever he wants to do. Then me and Susie told Paul, we said, hey, Paul, if you're not going to play baseball, you're not going to sit around the house and play them goofy games. Find something else to do. So he said, I'm interested in hockey and golf. And that's when we got him golf lessons. And then he went into hockey and he excelled there too. Our cousin Stevie saw Paul's determination firsthand. You know, his uh, tenacious abilities to, like his abilities to build his skills. And people think he didn't just come out swinging the golf club, right? He didn't just come out playing hockey at this certain level that, that he got to. He worked at it. And I don't think a lot of people get, like he went golfing every day to get as good as he was. He didn't just go take a few lessons and boom, he was Tiger Woods, right? He worked at it. Hockey was the same way. And so I look at those things. He overcame a lot of things because of his size, right? He played varsity hockey at Central. I think he was 92 pounds on his freshman year. Paul accomplished a lot of big things for a kid his size, but he had to get through some obstacles along the way. His mother, for one. The time he made he made uh, Central's hockey t- uh, yeah hockey team as a freshman paul was real little then and he came home and he told uh he told his mother say hey, my said i made varsity i made the varsity hockey team and i said to him 
oh, no, Paul, you have to go and tell them you're too little to play. He, he just looked at me. His mouth dropped. He said, what do you mean? I said, because you're going to get hurt. Go over there and tell them that you're too little to play on the varsity. He said, I'll wait till my daddy comes home. I was just going to say, I'm sure my mom told you about how he uh, got on varsity hockey when he was a freshman. And she said, no, you have to go back there and tell them you're not doing that. And he goes, I'm not going to do that. 89 so. pounds. She said, well, well, when your father comes home, he's going to be told this and you have to ask him. So when my dad came home, Paul said, dad, can I, I made the varsity team and I'm a freshman. And he goes, that's wonderful. He said, but mommy said, I can't do it. He said, no, you're doing it. So he, he did and it, it and he captain. was successful at it. Very so, successful. Yeah. All these hockey players that were real big and there comes Paul, littlest one on the thing. And he ended up being the captain. Cousin Stevie, who was like a brother to him, was one of his biggest fans. I didn't make varsity like he did first year. So, but I was, I was so proud. I didn't even care that I didn't make it, but my ninth grade cousin made it right. I'm still struggling in 11th grade, trying to make, trying to make varsity and Paul already made it. But I'm like, that was, that was the greatest for me. That's, that's the kind of stuff you would think maybe, you know, I'd be mad. No, I wasn't mad at all. I wasn't mad that he was great. I, I, I like cherished that he was good at all this stuff. Cause that's my cousin, <laughs> you know? So it was like a pride thing. <laughs> We all have some kind of connection to the place where we were raised. But Paul's connection was different. His bonds to Bloomfield, where we both grew up, were stronger than anything else. After graduating from Duquesne University, he got a great job with the Kellogg Corporation. But that's not what mattered most to Paul. He used to, he used to work up at uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, okay? He worked for Kellogg's up at Battle Creek, Michigan. Now listen to this setup. They'd fly him home every Friday. And he would stay, he would stay, he was living, he was living with us. And Bill and he brought a girl home every time. And then like Susie would say, Paul, you're up the attic. She's down here. We're no creeping. The, the steps creep, Paul. The steps so creep, so no, keep a, Keep your distance and shit like that. So anyway, that went on. Then if the Steelers played like on a Sunday night, Paul wouldn't go back Monday. He'd go back Tuesday morning. This went on for a year, Bill. Then when he went up to Battle Creek Mission, they had a car waiting for him. Then they, he had like a he had an apartment that they paid for. Right. This went on for a whole year. Now they come. They Paul goes in. He calls his mother. He said, Ma, they want to give me a position up here. <laughs> and he told them, he said, Ma, he said, I'm going back to Pittsburgh. He said, nah, I can't stay away. So that's it. He, he, he passed that, but he, he came home every weekend and they'd fly him home every weekend. And then he'd go back. I said, Paul, you could be the CEO of Kellogg's in a few years. He goes, I don't want to be. I'm coming home. So that was it. He said, nope, i got to come home. And I said, one thing about Paul is he always had his priorities set. He loved family. He loved friends. He loved being home. And so that, to him, was not like he didn't want that. I wanted him to be a golf pro. I wanted him to be a doctor. I wanted him to be a comedian because he was so, so funny. But he just wanted to be Paul. Paul always knew where he came from. 
and it shaped the way he lived his life. His sisters, Julia and Laura, witnessed this firsthand. Well, like he was the person that didn't care where you came from. He didn't care how much money you had. He didn't care if you were liked by many. He didn't care if you were liked by one. He he liked you because of you. And he loves you. He loved me. I know that because of me. Because I, I was all those. I, I was I was that person that was not liked by many. But if I had Paul by my side, I was the I was like a queen. I was like the 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 person that was loved by everybody. If I had him loving me. And that's how I looked at it. All his yeah, friends at other places like, you know, Duquesne, you know, that live elsewhere. I mean, I remember the one time his friend from Central came to the house with Paul and went home, and he lived on Shenley Avenue or Shenley, um, Shenley Drive over in Shadyside, really fancy place, gated community. And uh, he said, Dad, can we live where Paul Sholo lives? <laughs> can, can we please move to Bloomfield where Paul Sholo lives? Bloomfield is a tight-knit neighborhood with houses packed together like sardines. Paul bought one of those houses just a few blocks from where his parents live. He had a great job with Bayer Corporation, and before that he worked for Mellon Bank. He was on his way up the corporate ladder, but that wasn't the direction he wanted his life to go. He just felt that he was, like he was working. He had his own home. He had, you know, he, he was doing really well. But he felt in his heart that he didn't make a difference. And, and I said to him, I said, Paul, you do make a difference. You don't ask me and your dad for any money. So, it's, you know, we think that's it's wonderful because he, he was very self-sufficient. But he said, no, Mom, I don't mean a difference in just you and Daddy's life. I mean, I want to make a difference in, in my life. And he felt like he was making money, working every day, doing everything that you, he should be doing, but it wasn't enough for him. Like making money and, and having his own home, all of that stuff didn't make a difference in his life. He had to do something that he felt he was giving something to humanity. Uh, he so, always said, Bill, the, the job he has, he said, they can pick me up out of that job, put me over there, and they can just put somebody else in there, and everything will be the same. He said he just wasn't, he just wasn't fulfilling. He had a a goal in mind, and his jobs in the in the job market just weren't fulfilling that inner drive that he had to do to make a difference. What was that inner drive? What made Paul want to change everything? And why would it make him the happiest person in the world? That's what our next episode of That Was Paul is all about. Please tune in, and thanks for listening. There are so many people to thank for making this podcast a possibility. My Aunt Susie and Uncle Max for hooking up the microphone to their computer all by themselves and doing these interviews remotely during a pandemic. Michael Sorg for his expertise in recording the interviews germ-free. Paul's lovely and beautiful sisters, Laura and Julia. Stevie Shillow, also lovely and beautiful. Lieutenant Chip Baker of the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police who is now part of the family, whether he likes it or not. Amy Garrison for jumping back into her broadcast producer days to keep everything on track. 
Dave Hughes for his sage advice and design. Vince Robledo and Ben Pritchard of Garrison Hughes Advertising for the transcriptions and web development. And to Jay Green and Big Science Music, not just for editing, mixing, and producing this for Big Science pods, but for believing in it and putting their hearts into it. Finally, thank you, Paul, for making a difference in our lives. <laughs>